we start this week's chat, we have got a brand new sponsor for Series 5 who I just have to tell you about because I am so, so excited about working with them this year. If you haven't heard of Plio, they are the multi-award winning business spending solution built for forward-thinking teams that have completely changed the business expenses game for the better and made our lives as business owners and our team's lives a whole lot easier. It was basically launched in Copenhagen by two founders who thought that the old way of managing business expenses was a bit rubbish. And I'm sure that you'll agree, I don't blame them. You know what it's like at the moment. Your team needs to buy something and you will scramble to share the company credit card around. You're WhatsApping card details to one another. You will waste so much time filing expense reports for every little thing. When you say it out loud, it's not exactly the smartest way for a growing business to work, is it? Which is why Yepa and Niccolo built Plio in 2015. To keep it short and sweet, Plio's cards make it easy for people to buy what they need for work without the red tape and save you, or I should say us, your team and freelancers so much time because there is no need for expense reports or random invoices. You just give everyone a Plio card and you can see who's spending what as it comes in. There's also no need to hold on to piles of receipts anymore too because Plio will automate all of that and the very best bit is that they sync with all the usual accounting software apps as well so that you know that everything is being reconciled in the right way. For me personally, even though I don't have an official team as you all know, Plio appeals because I can now send my VA Lisa and and the team of freelancers I work with a card each so that we can now skip all the back and forth over card details and random invoices as and when they need to buy something for the business on my behalf. Even silly things like when we're back on the midweek mingle road shows and we're traveling again, I know full well that Chloe will need to nip out and buy extra snacks so I can now give her a Plio card so that we don't have to faff around with invoices when we're home. Basically, it's a game changer and it wouldn't have won as many awards as it has done if it wasn't as good as it is. The best bit, they are offering all she can she did listeners if you're a new customer, your first three months of Plio for free. Just head to plio.io to set up a demo using the link in the show notes and be sure to mention the She Can She Did podcast when prompted. A giant, giant thank you to Plio for their support of She Can, She Did, and also for handing the mic over to some amazing business owners who just so happen to be members of She Can, She Did in the middle of this episode too. What absolute legends they are, they are so unbelievably supportive, but that is enough of me rambling. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. The podcast in which I, Fiona Grayson, sit down with smart, driven, beyond inspiring business owners dotted all over the UK and ask them to open up to me about the candid reality that they've pushed through behind the scenes. Warts and all, of course, to not just launch, but run, grow and sustain their business to date. The overarching aim being to encourage both current and aspiring business owners that if the women that I'm chatting to each week can overcome and did overcome the setbacks they faced, and believe me, not one woman will say that she's had it easy on here, you can and you will overcome whatever challenges this running a business malarkey chucks your way to. 
This week, I had the pleasure of chatting to the queen of sustainable fashion, that is Victoria Prue, co-founder and CEO of Her, the tech-first platform described as the Airbnb of fashion that connects thousands of fashion renters with lenders and designers, building a much smarter solution for fashion, one rented dress or coat or jumper at a time. From the early days where Victoria used to visit lenders' homes with camera in hand, how she went about building a community of over 10,000 women primed and ready for her's launch and how she held her nerve when those around her challenged the idea that renting fashion would ever become commonplace to the turning point when her collaborated with Selfridges and gained global coverage how she's embedded sustainability into every aspect of the business and how she dealt with the numerous challenges that lockdown sent her way this is the reality behind Victoria's story launching running and growing her so far Victoria, I am so, so happy to have you here. We were just saying that it's kind of come full circle. And I remember just, I used to book interviews in back to back and I was just so, so useless and couldn't fit you in in 2019. And now I'm just so desperate to interview you. So I'm so happy we're here. No, thanks for having me. Can you please let us know what your business is all about in your own words and we will dive in from there. Sure. So I am Victoria Peru and I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company based in London called Her, H-U-R-R, for those that are listening, it's not H-E-R. And Her is the UK's leading wardrobe rental platform. And we basically exist because we're trying to reinvent this idea of fashion ownership and the idea that actually we don't actually have to own clothes, we can rent amazing clothes instead. So we have two parts of our platform. On the one hand, we are completely peer-to-peer. So we have a whole amazing group of women across the UK that rent and lend each other's wardrobes and make money from their wardrobes. And on the other side, we now power fashion rental for 65 plus brands here in the UK. Lots of brands, I'm sure lots of people listening to this will know, uh, Nanushka Bash, and we're also the exclusive rental platform partner for Selfridges. So we power all of their in-house rental. And we're finally at a time where rental's really picking up and you can rent an amazing kind of edit of contemporary to luxury brands for four, eight, 10 or 20 days. Amazing. I mean, you just said that, that rental is now picking up. And this is what I just love about businesses, because there was a time where the idea of renting fashion was just alien. It just wasn't like a mainstream thing at all. So where did this idea come from? And in those early days, like, did you face any kind of resistance with that idea? Yes, absolutely. In terms of kind of my personal journey in co-founding her, I looked at sharing economy and was just completely convinced that the next big thing was going to be sharing of everything. You know, a couple of years ago, we all rented Airbnbs for the same time and everyone was thinking, is it safe? Is it clean? Is it weird? And now that's the default. And I think we're going through that same kind of transition into the fashion industry. Rental's not a new idea. It's been around for, for 10 plus years. Rent Runway are the big player out in the States that do a phenomenal job at fashion rental. But there was just no cool platform in the UK that existed. So we were first to launch a peer-to-peer fashion rental platform, which is what the majority of our business still is. So we're a bit different to Rent the Runway operates. And you're completely right in the assumption. Lots of people told us three and a half years ago, less that rental would work, because I think it was proven that it would work, but definitely that sustainable fashion was a conversation for a few and that it would never go mainstream. I remember those conversations vividly. And here we are where, you know, fast fashion is on the front page of every newspaper. And I really believe we're at a pivotal time where consumers are waking up and they want to shop differently and they want a background that they actually really believe in and believe that they're doing the right thing. So yeah. We've come a long way in actually what is a very short space of time in terms of sustainability and conscious consumption for sure. Absolutely. Really quickly, like when you did face that kind of initial 
resistance in those early days. I'm always really interested in how you held your nerve in those conversations because ultimately like now you can look back and you can kind of face those conversations it's working right you've proved yourself but in those early days before her was what it is now what did those conversations sound like or how did you kind of keep yourself motivated I think if you're in a business or you're looking to start a business that changes behaviors or your first market and it's a new idea that no one's ever done before which was quite novel back in the day what we were trying to launch you're always going to be met with skepticism i'd say i've got two answers to that one is by the time i had decided to launch her i was so in i knew it was going to work because i knew i was going to devote my entire life to making sure it was going to work and that it was going to scale and that we were going to fundraise and that i was going to build a team etc so I think I knew deep down that, and I backed it, not 100%, I backed it 110%. And then the second thing is I just happen to be a personality type that when I am told no, it makes me more determined to prove people wrong. And I think you've always got to respect people's opinions. And there are lots of people that turn down Airbnb as early investors or Uber or some of the biggest billion dollar companies or companies that are reaching IPO or have IPO'd. So I think it's a fact of business. Not everyone is going to love your idea. There are some people that we meet day to day that don't see value you in certain parts of our platform or, or are kind of suspicious or, or question certain things that is just real life and I think you, you've just got to be resilient and luckily I am a personality type that quite likes being told no because if I really put my mind to something I like to prove people wrong over a couple of years I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Let's talk then I mean logistically there's so much to think about here like dry cleaning, getting the fashion brands on board, the website, the tech, all of it, fundraising. How did you go about getting this thing off the ground? Like step by step, what was the most urgent priorities? And like, what were those first few months like? So the first few months of her, I think we kind of skipped a, a few steps. I think most people normally start when they do a business, they, they do a business plan, they do kind of competitor research, comparable research. And we did that, but it wasn't our focus. We actually went pretty early on straight into building. We knew that if we wanted to build a scalable tech platform that was going to change behaviors, that was going to be as functional as Airbnb, you can't really just subcontract that big goal. So my co-founder and I just started building it ourselves. So he knows how to code and he was coding the back end. I was working on the front end, looking at the product, looking at the UX, looking at the UI, looking at all the boring things that you have to look at, like cancellation workflows and, you know, ID verification and geotagging and how all these kind of complex things that we wanted to do were going to work. So the early couple of months was just basically, you know, I self-funded the company for the first couple of months and got ourselves, you know, a functioning MVP. It was not glossy. It was not glamorous. Still those early versions of her make me kind of quiver they are so horrid but we had a platform that that worked and that we really believed in and I think that that always and my always my top piece of advice to entrepreneurs that are looking to start a company is like just get going having a business plan is great but having a product that works even if it's not glossy and someone's paying 10 pounds for your product or 50 or 100 pounds for your product just stands you in great stead in terms of proving that there is a market out there absolutely and you mentioned co-founder there how did you meet him so Matt, my co-founder, was actually a family friend of mine. He was doing his PhD at the time and was looking to go into consultancy. And I basically said, look, I've got this idea. You know, everything there is to know about maths and further education. Why don't you start this with me? I need your help. And we built it, literally sat next to each other in a basement in Shoreditch for the best part of a year together. And it was really helpful in those early days having someone, we are complete opposites, by the way. So the way I think and the way Matt thinks is completely opposite. It's very analytical and very kind of thought through in his approach. I think I'm much more 
more high level and then an 80% is good enough type character, I'd say. But we built it and, and work and do work, you know, to this day extremely well together in terms of, you know, what I do versus what he does. And it's nice in those early days to have someone to fall back on, like you said, when someone gives you a no and you're feeling a bit sorry for yourself, it's nice to have that kind of network for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of, you said they're building for about a year in that basement, when did it go live? Like how long did it take from the minute you started working on it to pressing the button and going live? And what did you do in that time to kind of build momentum ready for that launch? How did you go about that? Sure. So when we kind of had the idea and, and we had the kind of wireframes of what we wanted to build, I thought it wouldn't take longer than six weeks. A year later, <laughs> it still wasn't perfect. Frankly, to this day, three and a half years later, it's still not perfect. We've got lots of work to do and these things constantly iterate. There is no such thing as a finished marketplace. So I'd say for probably six months, it was deep tech work. And during that time, in terms of your question about how we got going, whilst we were kind of scurrying around actually building this product, I set up basically an Instagram page of like, this is what we're building. We're launching the UK's first peer-to-peer wardrobe rental platform. I'm Victoria. This is why I want you to be excited about it. And we built a waiting list with zero spend, literally no, not a single pound went into our Instagram. I managed it and had never managed an Instagram page or even cared about social media before her. And we built a waiting list of, I think, about 10,000 people, 10,000 plus people over a couple of months. So A, that was great because it meant that when I went out to raise an initial round, we had 10,000 people that were hyped up, ready to go. But we didn't just kind of onboard all those people that were either using our product or had signed up. Kind of within the first couple of months, we had a couple of hundred people just on our platform listing, you know, the supply side. So the people that are listing, getting Fiona to list her 10 Ganny dresses or Vampire's Wife dresses is the lifeblood of our platform. So we really, really focused on fast tracking the supply side of our platform, which has stood us in good stead. So I'd say from pretty early on, it was kind of our inner circle or friends of friends or god sisters or god brothers or whatever it was that was just giving us some pretty harsh feedback about how it was working before we obviously opened up. And I presume that like all of the brands onboarding you know, they're then talking to their customers and it like word of mouth starts spreading, right? Yeah, exactly. So the majority of our business for the first couple of years, definitely the first year was basically 100% peer to peer. It's a hard sell into a brand about rental when you've not got a product that's up and running and, and working and there's not data on a brand. We are an incredibly data driven company in terms of the brands we work with. We're incredibly fortunate. We have some of the biggest and best, in my opinion, brands in fashion signed up to her. But that was definitely kind of stage two, I, I would say. And, and I remember vividly in those early days that in so many ways, comparison is the thief of joy because you're sat there thinking, I've got this idea, but I haven't got any money. I'm self-funding this thing. I haven't got a net supporter level of budget. And actually you look and you compare your startup idea to billion dollar businesses or businesses that are generating 50 million pounds a year. And you're there scrappy and just trying to start something. So, you know, it probably looks glossy now. It's certainly not. And brands was a part two. We're still very active in the brand space, but we certainly didn't launch with some of the biggest names in fashion. We launched with nothing more than a few beta testers and then a couple of tens of thousands of people, which in, in reality is quite small numbers. And that took time to obviously build. So my top tip, if anyone is listening to this, is don't let yourself compare against companies that have a budget 100 times bigger or a team 100 times bigger than you have. 
honestly victoria like you are speaking to me right now so much because i can resonate like a benefits platform launched last year with three and a half million pounds funding behind them and someone linked it to me the other day being like have you seen this and i'm like yes obviously our website would look like that if we had three and a half million pounds behind us but you just have to kind of zone out don't you and tunnel vision and just keep going you do you do okay so i'm really interested in how quickly actually you mentioned funding there so did the funding come before you went live with those 10,000 names that helped to kind of convince them and, and what was your experience like there raising money uh, no so it was after so we had a, a product out to market it wasn't glossy but it was up and running and revenue generating by the time I went out and raised our first round it's interesting lots of people raise off a great business idea I think I'm just more of a doer and thought actually I want to know for myself and my own sanity that people are going to like this and give me 50 pounds of their cold hard cash <laughs> and I think that there are two routes you can go you can raise off a pitch deck and lots of people I know have done extremely well at doing that I was in the other camp and my view still to this day I think the strongest thing you can do before you worry about raising investment you know in six months time or a year's time I, I keep saying to people worry about that when you need to worry about it focus all of your seven day a week 24 7 energy and you know anxiety and passion and excitement into the product and actually getting people using it it's very different having your family friends tell you you've got a good idea versus people giving you cold hard cash that you don't know that aren't a friend of a friend and I think when you get to that stage that's the part where you can then call up me or call up another CEO who's gone through the stressful process and say you know I've got this thing it's generating X and it doesn't need to be generating hundreds of thousands of pounds a month but get people just using something and get people you know your early adopters in that was the smartest thing looking back that I'm glad we got right I think we could have wasted just otherwise a lot of time so yeah, that's kind of how we got going. And I think cold hard cash and having a product that actually works and people are using and transacting will stand you in much better stead when you do or consider raising from angels or VCs. Yeah, love that so much. Do you remember a turning point? Do you remember a point where you thought, okay, this is getting serious, like game on in terms of the traction you were getting? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I'd say the moment that you put your name to something and you really launch and, and I was definitely something I got wrong is taking too long to launch I think I was I was really worried about what people thought were my friends going to think it was a good idea and I'm sure we'll come on to this but people knew I was starting the business but I was so protective of it over it because you really care and you're so you're quite vulnerable when you start a company in terms of what if people think I've got a bad idea no one wants to be told that someone doesn't back an idea so I think by the time that I had kind of come around to it in myself and I'd done the hard work of like like, okay, Victoria, if this doesn't work and you've told everyone a minute fails, like, are you going to be all right with that? Because 50% of startups fail, you know, higher percentages fail. It's a real realistic probability. And I think I'd done that hard work. Like, do you know what? I can pick myself back up. I've done it before. I can do it again. So I'd say the kind of turning point was like overnight. I was like, right, I'm going to do this. And you know, whether it's a five-year view you're taking or a 10-year view you're taking, I was like, for the next X years, I'm going to devote my entire existence to getting this thing off the ground. And I think that was a point to me where I was just so all in. I honestly have never looked back. I've never, you know, worried about things we've got wrong. We get things wrong all the time. It's part of the journey. But I think when you get to that point where you're like, I back this 100%, you know, it's a bonus if your friends and family back it. But if you can sit there at night and think, okay, I've got this and I, I think it's worth giving it a go. I think that's the point for me where I was just hell bent on making it work. I love that. And what about a turning point for the actual business in terms of revenue? Was there a moment where, because I've, I've seen like, you know, you mentioned Selfridges earlier, but 
I mean, even things like, I don't know if it came later, but like Holly Willoughby, the ITV effect with them using her to rent her wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. Things like that. Like, was there a turning point with, I don't know, a feature or something happened that really took her to the next level? Yeah, for sure. I'd say that, you know, we've been up and running for three and a half years, about a year and a bit ago now. We partnered with Selfridges. And for us, that was taking her from what was a small startup. We're still doing really well. I was happy with how everything was going. But when you partner with a beast like Selfridges, that frankly is the best department store out there and was any founder's dream, that was a point where you're put on a global scale. (laughs) That for sure, you know, overnight, we have millions of hits to our website. In the first two weeks of the pop-up, we rented every dress on that shop floor before we hit lockdown it was a phenomenal success and will be when we launch back up in a couple of weeks so I think for us we're in a market where people haven't rented a dress before Fiona's probably sat there thinking I've got a you know, wedding coming up this summer am I going to rent for the first time I want everyone coming out of lockdown to be renting their June 21st outfits I don't want them to be buying fast fashion knockoffs and self just for us was that legitimizer where they have the power and the brand to say to the world or to the UK at least renting's the next big thing we're backing her go and check out the pop-up and I will never forget that day or that deal and to this day I'm incredibly grateful for their team they have definitely made us who we are today I mean, it's still a bit of a pinch me moment. We often get asked about how we got it up and running as such a genius startup. But I think it just goes to show there are businesses out there that are looking to do things differently and do things better. For me, Selfridges has always been that department store. They had really cool Depop pop-ups. They had Best Year Collective. They have Restory, which do repairs as well. And they were just always one step ahead. So that for me was 100% one of those moments where you just think, God, actually, am I on to the next big thing? And for me, that was kind of just a legitimizer that I wasn't mad and that all the hard work was hopefully going to pay off. 100%. Did they come to you or did you go to them? So we ran a pop-up, our own pop-up, just outside Victoria Station in the kind of Belgravia area in London in 2019. And a Selfridges team came down to see our pop-up. And it was one of those days where, so it was like the week before Christmas, where COVID didn't exist. And we had like 50... Those were the days. <laughs> they were the good old days, weren't they? And then we had like 50 or 75 women. And it was like seven o'clock in the evening, all coming in to rent these sequin dresses for their Christmas parties for that night. And there was this most unbelievable buzz of everyone being like, this is so cool. I'm renting a dress for £50 that's £500 or I'm renting a dress for £75 that's £800. And the Selfridges team came down and that's the first time we met. And I think from that, obviously naturally evolved into going into store. And for us, it massively helped leverage, you know, new customers. And that kind of bricks and mortar is absolutely crucial to our you know, new user acquisition and also to our success, I think, because having something that's not scary in real life is a big difference. And I hope that's people on this podcast are going to come and visit us in store we're in the midst of relaunching at the moment and it's going to be really exciting and and I think it is a first easy step into renting for the brands as well that you partnered with like I mean you mentioned some of the more established ones but you know Lisa at Radish I remember seeing her go and visit the pop-up and you know it's a big deal for those brands to be in Selfridges as well right it's kind of giving them exposure that they might not necessarily have got on their own or it's come sooner for them Yeah, for sure. And I think it is really exciting when we can put a really cool edit. We've got some really cool made-to-order fashion brands coming in that are going to be going into store. We've got a really strong edit of black-owned brands and curvy brands that are really kind of championing size inclusivity on a massive scale, all going into store. And we have the beauty of kind of curating out of tens of thousands of pieces, our top 100 or 200. So it's really fun and and it's really nice as well. And I I love meeting the founders of the dresses our team have handpicked and that they're now in store. 
it's really nice and yeah there's got to be some perks haven't there of running a startup that's one of them <laughs> absolutely I saw on your personal Instagram you shared a quote and it was I love it sustainability isn't something you buy it's a culture and I'm really interested in obviously I mean the nature of what you're doing it's there already but like I saw on one of the behind the scenes videos things like partnering with Christmas tree people that are like recycling Christmas trees or stuff how have you gone about making it the genuine ethos of the company there's so many like performative things out there now and like this is something that genuinely it's her all over right so how have you gone about that yeah sure so I think the important distinction is is that we're not a brand trying to be sustainable we are a circular economy business and what we do is inherently sustainable because we're not making a manufacturing clothes and selling consumption we're at the end part of the circular economy where we're trying to keep hundreds of thousands of items if not millions of items out of landfill and keep them in existence so our business model is set up and has sustainability absolutely at its core and I think what's been interesting over the last two and a half three years it's a big learning curve and, and actually sustainability is a kind of all encompassing phrase captures all parts of our day-to-day lives and our her girls and our her community love top tips about things that they can be doing differently things that they can be doing better you know renting a Christmas tree that was a massive trend this year and it's one of those things where you think why would I not rent a Christmas tree rather than like digging one out of the earth and then it gets stuck on my street for six weeks after oh, it's so sad after Christmas when you just see it all these is. trees just like lying everywhere I'm always like, I know I know and like they're really cool bloom and wild had like a small one where you could just like have it in your living room and then you can repot it and replant it and it's just things like that that I want I genuinely find fascinating and I want my user base and the her user base to benefit from all the research that we have going on behind the scenes and those kind of top tips I think are really really exciting so for us sustainability is looking at all parts you mentioned dry cleaning and packaging these are things we have spent years and heavy investment into making sure that there is no stone unturned in terms of our processes because we are I guess positioning ourselves as the future of fashion and the way that we want the fashion industry to go and I obviously a bit biased but I'm a big believer that rental is the next big thing and sustainability is part of that conversation and is our number one driver for sure. And I think it's really important as well to like make it clear that you can make a positive impact with your business and still make profit. Like the two can go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sustainability doesn't need to be and shouldn't be a tick box CSR. I'm a large company. I've got to try and be a bit better at sustainability to solve the problems we've got to solve in terms of fashion consumption and climate crisis. We need sustainability in the circular economy incorporated into long-term business strategy. And people aren't going to do that if it's not a profitable, viable part of the business. And, and my main mission and the reason I get out of bed every morning is so that I can show brands, I can show department stores like Selfridges, I can show our peer-to-peer community that this is a whole new way of doing fashion that is profitable. That is exactly the business we're in and, and it's a really exciting space to be navigating. come on to like worst days on the job I'm really interested in again had a little stalk and you shared a really great quote again at the end of last year and it was if 2020 didn't bring the hustle out of you it's not in you actually it was it ain't in you but I can't I'm literally just I'm not cool enough to say (laughs) how did lockdown you mentioned you know the pop-ups and everything and Selfridges is obviously shut how did 2020 play out for you from the early days of March you know the panic in March was real right and how did that then evolve throughout the year? 
Yeah, of course. So going back to March last year, we were obviously hit quite badly from a demand side of our platform because guess what? You know, all the events that people rely on or were relying on were then cancelled. And to put 2020 into a word, it would be pivot. You know, we looked at lots of different parts of our business. But I actually think in times of economic instability or a pandemic or just any instability at all, people look to do things differently. And they're looking for, you know, engagement was at an all-time high on our social channels because people were sat at home. Our listings were up at an all-time high because because for people that had followed her for a year but hadn't had a chance to upload their wardrobe, now finally we're sat at home doing so. So we really pivoted in terms of like what KPIs we were tracking and what was going to be important to our business, knowing that obviously revenues were going to be down for a couple of months. I, I live by a phrase of like, you know, worry about what you can control. And I can control most things in running a startup, but I cannot control a global pandemic and no one can. So I'd say, you know, a full lockdown, it was definitely a stage and, and, you know, going in and out of lockdowns last year, you question every part of running a business, you question every pivot, you question every single £10 bill you sign off through to, you know, big deals that you're making. But I also think our team, and I feel incredibly grateful, incredibly quick to execute. And once we've kind of, you know, decided this is the path we're on, we all go gangbusters and it's really exciting. So I'd say that the kind of my job and what I hope that I've done a good job of over the last year is actually just keeping morale up and keeping the team together. And, you know, this will end. And when it ends, there is going to be one big old party whenever it does come. But it doesn't mean that the last year hasn't been incredibly tough. You have days where you think, is this really worth it? It's, you know, sucking every piece of life out of me. But I think, you know, in terms of revenues, December was one of our best ever revenue months. Engagement, as I mentioned, is at an all-time high across the platform. So I think it is a kind of make or break year for a lot of brands. And I really hope and pray that we're coming out the other side of that now. And I deeply believe that rental is going to be changing the way people consume. We've sat at home for an entire year. And I'm sure you're the same as I have, looking at our wardrobes, looking at all the stuff that we own, thinking, why do we own all this stuff? I don't want to own this useless stuff. Stuff doesn't make us happy. So I think that's been a big shift that I'm excited to kind of capitalise on and get people excited about the joy of dressing up post lockdown. Absolutely. You mentioned the team there. Did your leadership style or like, did you learn anything about yourself as a leader during the pandemic, given that I just think navigating last year as a solo founder, what I just I work with freelancers, I don't have a team like that to me was a challenge in itself. But I kind of had so many moments last year, where I just thought like, God, you know, if you've got a team relying on you here, there's that responsibility to really kind of, yeah, just make sure that everyone's okay. And like you, you mentioned that you kind of kept morale up. But like, yeah, what was that experience like? Yeah, I think my vision to this day is the same as it was three and a half years ago. And my team know that. And the reason that they work for her is because they believe in this vision and this crazy dream we all have. I think the thing we got right that I think a lot of companies out there got wrong was contact time. So when we were all in lockdown, we were all working from home. I know that there were lots of companies out there that kind of checked in with their team once a week. We did exactly the opposite. So we had twice daily meetings, one at 9am and one at 3pm. And we were talking about this actually this morning in the office and my team was saying, oh, you know, it's a bit annoying. We had to be on like two hour long calls, but it kept the team together for two hours of every day where we're discussing pivots. We're discussing what's going wrong. We're discussing if we've had a small win and we had loads of amazing ones last year but that kind of you know actual face-to-face time even in a virtual world I think really really helped kind of keep morale up I also think that if you have a team whether it's a team of two or a team of 20 there are lots of small 
low lift things you can do like I remember like in the early days Pangaea was a really cool like athleisure brand that was hyping up and I bought all of my team like matching Pangaea hoodies it's like a thank you guys for getting us through you know without my team we would be nowhere and I think that all my effort and focus actually went into making sure that everyone was going to be all right and that you know I could address concerns and I think when you're having a wobble the CEO's job has to be to keep people you know streamlined focused and, and I think that's what we did well doesn't come without its challenges of course but I think that screen time and one-to-one contact even over Zoom is incredibly beneficial or has been. Amazing you mentioned challenges so let's go with that segue what has been they've kind of weaved their way in as they always do but I'm really interested to know what has been the hardest part of this journey so far has there been like a day that really stands out or something gone really wrong where you had to question it? Yeah I think without dwelling on COVID because I know everyone's probably bored about hearing about it but when you go into a full lockdown and you watch your revenues going down you know until that point we'd gone up and up and up and our growth was incredibly strong and it was the first time in our journey of her that things weren't looking quite so good and the hardest part was I have an incredible speed dial list of people that solve all my problems and I've managed to surround myself by some experts that help me and hold my hand through lots of parts of running a business and for the first time ever no one knew the answers So whether you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or you're the best chief marketing officer in the world, no one knew how to navigate it. So there's no one to rely on. You are literally relying on your gut. You know, I got asked yesterday, you know, do you think you made any mistakes in the last year? The answer is absolutely. (laughs) Like, I think we got some things wrong, but I also think we got a lot right. And I think that's the hardest part because I think especially females, we sometimes want, you know, a second opinion and and that's great. And I get lots of second opinions when we're making important decisions. But when no one knows the answer and we saw billion dollar businesses getting it wrong, they didn't know the answer. And when you're like, oh my gosh, if no one knows the answer, how are we going to navigate this? So it was an incredibly stressful time. I'm sure we'll probably come on to talking about it on a more personal level, but it is that point where you're like, gosh, you know, I remember thinking worst case, this is going to be over in September. We're now in what, you know, end of March, a year later, and here we are. So I think, you know, just actually trusting your gut was probably the best thing I did because I realized pretty quickly that no one knew the answers and it was going to be my job to make the decisions. I honestly love that so much. And I do think like, You're so right. Sometimes there's so many kind of, this is how you should run a business templates, bish bash bosh kind of thing. And like, you know, your business best, right? And it's, you know, your team best, you know, your customers best. And it is that kind of, yeah, let's just put our hands up and just see where this goes. For sure. I am very aware though, that that is a huge amount of pressure on your shoulders. When that like reality hit you, that there was no one to turn to what did actually that feel like in the moment and who do you lean on in those moments because it is it's lonely like that responsibility yeah it is it is in terms of kind of how I guess I dealt with it I'm a big organizer and a big planner so I write everything down I have an incredibly structured routine through to like what my weekend looks like hour by hour people probably think I'm a bit crazy but that's how I deal with coping with stress and knowing what's coming up so I would say you know I have a notepad by my bed and if I can't sleep this happened this morning it's now 11 30 but five o'clock this morning something was really stressing me out And I got out and I actually wrote it down and I do that very frequently. I'd say what I've learned over the last year in terms of the responsibility and the pressure and the huge pressure that does come with running a company and and having the responsibility of a team, it's actually realizing that self-care isn't selfish and that actually if you don't look after your health and yourself, the whole thing is really going to fall apart. So I think definitely last year, 
even though there was nowhere to go, everyone needs to be taking annual leave. We're now in March and most people haven't taken a day of annual leave. It's just not good for us. And actually we all perform better when, we, <laughs> when we've had some days off. So for me, the moment that my stress is at a level where it's stopping me sleeping, that's the kind of red alarm bell in my head, so to speak, about, you know, I need to get some balance back in my life or I need to have a few days off, even if there's nowhere to go to like not be on my emails or be on back-to-back Zooms. So I think trying to learn how to manage that has been absolutely crucial. And I do that by having a hyper-structured schedule about what TV I'm watching through to what exercise class I'm occasionally doing versus to what my day-to-day looks like. It is a bit insane, but it means that I can manage stress and know what's coming. And for me, it's been invaluable. Yeah, it's like working out what works for you, right? Like there's so much, yeah. again, noise out there about what it should look like. And it's just like, yeah, you do you. <laughs> you shared the kind regards letter, which I love that really like unpicked whole girl boss thing and that girl boss culture and I do think there's like tremendous amount of pressure on female business owners when they're put on a pedestal you can just as quickly as you're put up there you can be knocked off and I think that's a very unique thing for a female founder in today's digital world and part of that letter there's a quote you know work is more gritty than it is glossy I love that series of letters but that's a massive driver for me and she can she did since 2017 like it's not as glossy as it seems and I think externally looking in at you there will be so many women that are wanting to get into fashion that are wanting to get into a business looking at you being like Victoria is living the life and it comes with so many amazing opportunities but I'm really interested in to know what the general day-to-day challenge is what the reality has been like basically on a day-to-day level what you find hardest about this all Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say to anyone out there, I I really hope that I can be the person or be one of the people that is trying to get a bit of realism into this because running a startup is not glossy press pics where you look amazing because you've had a Photoshop image and you've been shot by a great photographer. The day-to-day is hair scraped up in the office running around like headless chicken. Yeah, it's interesting. And I feel like what I've learned most in the last three years, and I remember when I started, everyone used to say to me who was an entrepreneur, running a startup is a marathon, not a sprint. And I would say, no, like that's rubbish. It's sprint, not a marathon. You have to sprint the whole time. Otherwise, you're going to miss an opportunity. You're going to miss out. And I wouldn't say I had like burnout last year in terms of like an extreme sense, but definitely when I got to the end of 2020, I had a long, hard look at how I want to live my life. And there have been huge sacrifices along the way. And this has really been all encompassing. And I think I got that balance wrong. And my big word for 2021 is trying to get some balance back in because I think people look at a startup and and like you say, you look at the highs and social media is always going to be walked towards the highs and not the lows. And I think that we're making good progress. Actually, the kind regards letter is a great lifting the lid on that as an example. But I think my one piece of advice is actually taking time for yourself. And I have lots of kind of top tips around this and actually realizing that if you are going to survive and thrive long term, you cannot run seven days a week, 12 hour days, working 100 hour weeks. I've tried it and I did it and I did it very well for months and if not maybe even two years and then it gets to a point where it's completely all encompassing and I think that's the biggest change that I've made and trying to actually understand what a working week looks like and working Monday to Friday and sometimes of course things go wrong on the weekends but actually you know for example on a Sunday I have a known phone day so from Saturday night to Sunday night my phone is off unless the world is going up in flames my team are very good at, at leaving me to it and 
just having a day a week where I'm not interested in what's going on in the world and I can actually walk my puppy or do whatever I want to do is hugely valuable. But it's taken me three years to get there and I've got that balance wrong. And I hope that anyone who follows me or follows the her journey just realizes that actually you need to have some form of balance and please take it from me that working seven hour weeks is fine if it's a short solution, but it's not the way to run a business long term. Absolutely. And I do think as well, it's almost like it gets chucked around how important self-care is. But I'm the same as you. Like I normally sleep just fine. And it was around August, September last year. I just wasn't sleeping because it was just, yeah, just super, super stressed. And it's crazy how even though I'm interviewing women constantly talking about the importance of self-care, I kind of thought like, no, no, I can handle it. And I genuinely always felt like, well, I still do, but I had a good relationship with my body. Like I'll listen to it, blah, 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 you know, pull back on exercise, then push, whatever it is. But actually that was the first time I really experienced burnout. And it's kind of, then you look back and you join up the dots. But I do think sometimes you have to learn that lesson almost. Like it's a really big wake up call when you aren't sleeping or whatever it might be. That It's like, okay, something needs to change. For sure. To make sure that this ends on a high. Given everything we've just discussed, looking back on your story, what are you most proud of and what makes this all worth it for you? I think I'm proud that her is finally mainstream. I met someone in the street the other day and we got chatting about something that was a friend of a friend and everyone I seem to speak to or or know of has heard of her in some capacity. And it's the weirdest concept and idea. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's her. And I'm like, what? That's so crazy. That was in my head three and a half years ago. And for me to be at the forefront of change and to be having fascinating conversations with some of the biggest retailers out there about like, how can we make this better? Because we believe that her is the next billion dollar business. And we believe that Renton is the future of fashion. To be in those discussions makes it all worth it because that's that's what in my head I dreamt of three and a half years ago. And I spoke to a, an entrepreneur on a, a panel last week and she said, you know, my top tip is enjoying the journey as you go. And I went away and I said, you know, do I enjoy the journey? And, and like, do I enjoy it enough? And I think sometimes you're always on to the next thing and you don't actually realize what you've achieved. So I am, as a not a very reflective person, trying to really actually reflect on what an amazing achievement we have had and how amazing our growth has been. And what is it, three years? It's a short period of time. And I feel incredibly lucky to be backed by Selfridges and to have a great team because it's all happened over time. It's not just been a success story overnight, but the number one is the fact that we're solving a problem and I hope that we're going to make the world a better place. And where do you want to be? You know, are you in this for the long haul? Like, can you see yourself running her 15, 20 years down the line? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I am her, her until I die, as my team say, but um, <laughs> I, I, I really believe in the vision. I believe in absolutely everything we're doing. I believe in all the decisions we're making. It's an exciting time where I think that post lockdown, we're going to start really reaping the rewards of all of our hard work of years and years and massive investments. So I feel incredibly positive about the future. I, I really feel that in lots of ways, there is no ceiling to how big we could be and should be and hopefully will be if I can get back to work and, and execute on everything I'm supposed to be. (laughs) I love that so much. I always round up with some statements, Victoria. So I'll start and I'd like you to finish, please. Being my own boss means? Paving my own path to success. Yeah, absolutely. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to? Pivot. (laughs) There's a lot of that in 2020. To stay lean, innovate, pivot and adapt. Absolutely. If I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I am? Driven.
Yep, you get that. And if I could go back to day one of my business, I'd tell myself. Just get going. Yeah. And I want my legacy to be that. That's a good one. I want my legacy to be that if you think you have a good idea, trust your gut, go with it. And you might just well be on to the next big thing. And change the world. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) No, I honestly, I think what you're doing is incredible. And I'm so, so grateful that we finally got to chat. Thank you so much to Pleo once again for sponsoring this episode and for going that extra bit further to support female business owners by handing over the mic to our amazing members during this episode's ad space. As one of their 15,000 customers, I know full well we're in safe hands with this one. It really is a game changer for how we manage expenses. So I highly recommend taking advantage of their special offer for She Can, She Did listeners and seeing for yourself what all the fuss is about. Get your first three months free by heading to pleo.io now and make sure to mention the she can she did podcast on your demo the link's in the show notes now i cannot wait to hear what you think thank you so much for listening to that episode if you happen to enjoy it please do feel free to subscribe rate review tell a friend etc etc i'm sure you know how it works by now but it really does help to give the series a little boost and i for one would be so unbelievably grateful for now though have a lovely day and please do keep a lookout for next week's episode